And so this morning, um, we're going to read here in Acts um, chapter 2 in just a second. You can, you can pull out your Bible if you want and turn there. Um, but, you know, what, what we're hoping happens today is that, that you are challenged to, um, to come face to face with our Lord and to leave here um, with, a, with a desire and a heart to, to respond to him and whatever that may be. And so we're going to read, I'm going to read in, in Acts chapter 2, I'm starting at verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that, and, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they, were devoted, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sunnybrook. I hope you have your Bibles and I hope you have them open because we are going to be looking at that uh, text that Scott just read to us from the book of Acts chapter 2. And one of the reasons why we are actually here is we are continuing from the conversations that we've been having, uh, hearing the words of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus. So we began this year by looking at what Jesus did and then we have since then spent time looking at what Jesus has taught. And uh, the last few weeks, we've really been looking at Jesus' command to his people, uh, dis- describing what life was going to look like as they followed him and what life would look like together as they followed him. Um, and as you can tell today, I don't know how much you are paying attention to the colors in the room, um, but I love these banners because they remind us of what today is. Uh, we, we don't come from a very uh, high liturgical church background, um, and so these might be actually new to you. Um, But these are the banners that represent Pentecost Sunday, Um, and that's what we are celebrating today. We're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus Christ had promised, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ being told to all of those in Jerusalem as Jesus Christ promised would happen, and we are here this morning to live in the shadow of that, to live in the overflow of that, to live in the outpouring of that. And so we line up with witnesses all around the world celebrating God's faithfulness to his promises, God's faithfulness to his people as they continue to submit themselves to him, as they continue to follow him. Um, we now for, uh, for over 2,000 years have been faithfully talking about who Jesus Christ is and what that in fact means to them. Recently, I was at a graduation ceremony in which I was reminded of a, of a famous statement that was written many, many years ago. Uh, and many of, how many of you even remember the name or know of the name Jim Elliott? Raise your hand if you know. I want to see how many people, 
Okay, some of you don't know the name Jim Elliott. Okay, amazing story, by the way. Amazing story of a young man while he was attending uh, college slash seminary but felt a call to go out on mission and to go to a part of the world that definitely uh, did not know the gospel and was in desperate need of the gospel. And so Jim Elliott in 1956 with some, um, a number of other partners in ministry went down to a country in Central America and uh, while he was there was killed by the people that he went to serve. His, his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, then went back with a number of other uh, of the wives of these missionaries who were killed and they went back and they had an opportunity to continue to preach the gospel and many of those people from the Aka Indian tribe ended up coming to faith. But Jim Elliott wrote a number of very, very powerful and uh, uh, I, would, I would say so, so well written that they make us to reflect uh, on, on what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I was reminded of one of these statements that he wrote in his journal that was later published by his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. And I thought it would be really, really appropriate for us to hear it this morning. And before I read his prayer to God, so this is his prayer to God, that God would do something in himself. We're gonna be using it this morning, but let us remember that as we gather together as the church of God, that we gather as individuals who are part of a body. We come to God, and, and truly, I mean, I, I, I come to God, and I come to God fully in terms of who I am. There are times in which, though, the, the, the scriptures or the, the, the demands of the scriptures, both the invitation and the challenge that come from the scriptures can just seem too much for me. And, and it's good for us to realize out of what, what Ryan preached last week, the Great Commission. We're going to speak honestly. How many times have you heard that? Go, therefore, or it's actually as you go, and as Ryan described it, it's more of a, as you are going, make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father. How many of you hear that and go, oh, I haven't baptized anybody ever. I, I've not actually been in the, in the discipleship making process ever. And, and, and by saying that, you actually exclude the discipleship that you had with your spouse or the discipleship you had with your children or even the discipleship that you are an integral part of in the community groups that you're, that you're, that you're in. So you exclude all of that and you just feel like, uh, I've never really gone to Ecuador or I've never really gone to, and you pick a place and you, you divorce your life and your circumstances from the, the, the plans and the purposes of God. And I would say it's because you're looking at it so individual, individualistically. And so I want to look at this prayer of Jim Elliott and I, I want us to, to hear it and I want you to hear it, but I also want us to hear it. That although Peter is singled out as the one who stands up and speaks, he doesn't stand up and speak alone. And he even draws attention to that. We are not drunk, as some of you are supposing. The, the Holy Spirit was not poured out on Peter alone, but it was poured out upon the apostles as promised by Jesus. And so this morning, really what I want us to do is to recognize that, yes, each and every one of us have a role to play in the mission and the purposes of God. And each and every one of us has a role to play in the body of Christ as members of his body, of, of his team, missionally sent into the world. So here is the prayer that Jim Elliott makes. Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. 
Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. And when I heard that, I remembered hearing it before. And I remembered being inspired by it. And I remembered being challenged by it. I remember both the invitation that Jesus Christ has called me to himself. And I love the, I love the line, I don't want to be a milepost. I don't want to be a milepost. What does he mean by that? Um, just basically something that, that really doesn't tell you a lot. <laughs> Uh, it, it doesn't force you to make a decision. Um, I mean, when I am driving, and unless it's mile marker 27 as I'm coming to Stillwater, and that's actually more of a fork in the road, isn't it? But just seeing mile marker 33 or mile marker 34, all it basically tells me is, okay, um, this is how far I am from something. But what Jim Elliott is saying is, I, I don't want to be just something, someone, or part of something a group of someones who is just casually not really engaging with the world around me. I don't just want to be a spectator to life, and I don't want people to look at me like somehow, like my life doesn't matter. And, and, and it's, he's, he's not even asking this for himself. But that God has called each and every one of us to faith in him for a reason. And this, this text and, and this day Pentecost Sunday, causes us to realize that when Jesus Christ died to save us, he didn't die just to save us, but that you and I might be more than just mileposts on the road. But in the end, and I love how he is de dependent upon God for this, God, um, make me a, a crisis man. Make me someone, and ordinarily when we think of the word crisis, we think, oh, what's wrong and the answer that Jim Elliott, I think, would answer that question is, is what is wrong is there is a world that does not know who Jesus Christ is. There is a world that is living apart from Jesus Christ, that is headed in the wrong direction, that doesn't realize or understand where they are going or the ultimate consequences of the decisions that they are making. As they're seeing milepost after milepost, they don't know they're headed in the wrong direction or they don't know that a decision needs to be made to, to direct them in a completely other way. And, and, and most of us, and if I'm honest, like so much of my life is milepost living. And Jim Elliott says, I, I can't be this. I, I shouldn't be this. And I love his dependency on God. Make me a crisis man so that when people interact with me, they, they get a sense that a decision must be made. Basically, I love this, this, this statement that Ryan made last week in his sermon, and I want us to use it as a little bit of a, uh, we, we've heard what Jim Elliott is asking for, that somehow you and I, in light of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in light of the salvation that you and I have in Jesus Christ, um, that you and I recognize the need for us to live our lives in such a way that when people interact with us, the decision needs to be made, that there is um, an invitation and a challenge happening at the same time. And here is the, the, the statement that a life that has been um, infected by the gospel, affected by the gospel, is a life where the teachings of Jesus have done something. And so here's what Ryan said last week. The Great Commission, which we read in Matthew chapter 28, produces those who obey the greatest commandment, which is to love God and to love others. 
And so our call in terms of living out this faith that we have in Jesus, our call um, to, to be faithful to what Jesus actually says means that you and I are now living in such a way that our, our lives are so altered, are so redirected, that people can't help but see the salt and the light that exists in us. And that's what Jim Elliot is praying for. God, allow the outpouring of the Spirit or the working of your will in my life Help that to shine in such a way that when people see me, that they recognize a difference, a way in which I organize my life, a way in which I organize my family, a way in which I organize my events that sees you as the chief cornerstone, that sees you as the primary influence, that sees in me you, Jesus. And so the apostles when they are so excited about this new resurrected savior, they ask him this question in chapter one because they think everything is going to change. They, they say, Jesus, are you about to establish this new kingdom? Um, they don't, I don't think they understand yet that he is leaving. Is it this, at this time, Jesus, that the new kingdom, this kingdom in which um, the world is going to be redirected, is, is, it, is it go time now, Jesus? And I want you to turn with me back to Acts chapter one, verses seven and eight, where Jesus takes the work that he does. And I think a lot of reflection, I think, is needed on this. Jesus takes the work that he does and he appropriately places it in the hands of his disciples. I want us to get a sense that the reason why Jim Elliot said, God, make me a crisis man, God, make me a fork in the road, is because he recognized that the call of God that was placed upon his life was not just that he might receive something, but that he might receive something and recognize the value of this treasure, to recognize the worth of this treasure, and to recognize the responsibility of the treasure that has been entrusted to me. Christian, I want to ask you this morning, do, do you look at what Jesus Christ has done for you and, and value it? Thank you for giving me this new life. Thank you for giving me peace with God. Thank you for giving me the hope of life eternal. Thank you for giving me a community that I can now live in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I'm so grateful for all that you have given me. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But may it never end there with us. May we, may we never look at what you and I have received, this invitation to be a part of, and let it end there. That's my concern for me and for us, that, that somehow it ends there. And what this prayer says and what Jesus is going to say, look at chapter, look, chapter 1, look at verses 7 and 8. It's not for you to know the times or the periods that my Father has set by his own authority. I love that reminder. Um, God is the one who has authority. We even see this in Matthew chapter 28. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, and he describes this life that is lived, but it is because all of authority resides in God. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then there is a responsibility, a challenge that is extended to us. See, and that's what Jim Elliot saw in his hands, in his life. I have been given something by God, life eternal. I've been given something by God, peace with him. I've been given something by God, a sanctified life, a changed life. And he felt, he, 
he, he had a sense of urgency about it and a sense of earnestness about it. And, and, and my concern is that, that, that I, we, have become so um, internally focused about what Jesus Christ has done for me, about what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me, Instead of recognizing, it's not for us to know the times or the dates. God has set all of that, but he says in verse 8, and this is that both invitation and challenge, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are going to be my witnesses how God works, Adam and Eve, I have made you, and now you, now you, in light of what I have given you, in light of the life that I have given you, in light of the world that I have blessed you with, I want you to now go and be fruitful and multiply. Noah, the only one righteous. Noah, the world is a very, very broken place, God says, and I'm going to destroy the world. And then he says, so now build. Build an ark in which the human race will find safety and security and longevity. Moses, I have indeed, this is the Lord speaking, I have indeed seen the misery of my people and I have come down and I am going to set them free. And then he said, and so now go. Go, Moses. Remember, Moses was already free of the difficulties and the hardships of Egypt. And God sent him back into it. I am going to set them free, so now go. And Jesus, here's what I have accomplished. And, and here we are to celebrate the victory that God has over sin and death. Hey, Jesus, is it now at this time that you're going to take care of everything? So much of our lives are, are spent just wanting God to take care of everything. And hear me, he does and he will. But the regular pattern of how God brings about the restoration and the redemption of the world is by redeeming and restoring those who recognize that what they now have is not something to just be held on to. But in the same way that Jesus didn't hold on to his privileged position with the Father, he emptied himself and he gave. Brothers and sisters, on Pentecost Sunday, what a great reminder. We are not here merely to just bask in, in the glow, in the fire, um, in, in the joy and in the peace that you and I have received, but do you recognize that the hope that you now have in you is not in everyone? Do you understand that the life that you now have in Jesus Christ is not in everyone? And so to sit back and for us to appreciate and to value really isn't true appreciation or value unless we recognize it must also be extended. Not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And that is why Peter stands up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he begins to speak about Jesus. I'm not really going to go into the sermon, actually. But the sermon itself is 
Peter recognizing what he has understood and what he has experienced, all of the times in which Peter had an opportunity to learn from Jesus and more about Jesus and stumble and trip and fall and then to be picked up again, to deny Jesus and then to be forgiven by Jesus. And Peter understands when the Spirit comes in him that this is not something that I can keep to myself. The words that I have about Jesus must be spoken and the life that Jesus has modeled for me is now my life and needs to be modeled in front of those around me. And so Peter speaks, which by the way, I, I think our, our lives are about speaking and living. And Peter speaks the truth about Jesus. And then I want you to look at verse 37 of our text. So after he's done talking about Jesus and he makes this very, very bold statement, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ and Messiah. God has made Jesus the one that you have rejected. See, a crisis person understands that a crisis exists even when they've been freed from that crisis. A crisis person isn't just someone who gives thanks, that somehow we made it through. But they recognize, I have been brought through this. I, I have gone through this for a reason, and there are others who are left behind. There are others who are still in need. There are those around me who do not have the hope and the peace and the life that I have in Jesus Christ. And so they model and they speak, and particularly in Acts chapter 2, it is a message. It is a word that is spoken, that is spoken to people who think it really doesn't matter how they understand and respond to Jesus. They literally, many of the people in Jerusalem have heard about Jesus. Obviously, they'd heard about the events of Jesus. I would even argue that one of the reasons why 3,000 people come to faith that day is because of the ministry of Jesus Christ that has left a, a lingering memory with them. And the rumors about his resurrection, and now this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon these apostles is yet one more confirmation and after Peter is done speaking, notice the, the crisis man, Peter, standing up and speaking the truth. And don't just think that it, as uh, when, you, when you kind of uh, unfold the next few chapters of the book of Acts, every time they speak, there is confrontation and opposition. So this is not just a matter of, I've got a really great message for you to hear, and I know you guys are going to be really, really excited about this. No, there are those in the crowd who are deeply offended, deeply bothered, who are going to, in fact, um, attack, who are going to imprison, who are going to persecute the disciples for the message that they speak. But a crisis man, Jim Elliot, a crisis person, Peter, says, either way, I have looked at what God has given me and I recognize the responsibility that I have to speak it and to live it to the world around me. And so the people respond, look at verse 37 of our text, and when they heard this, see this is, a, this is the outpouring, when they heard what Peter said, they realized this is not a milepost person. There's a decision that I need to make. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? The words of Peter and the words of the apostles meant that it was, in fact, decision time for the people around them. And, and, and what I would like for us to do is to spend a, just a few moments, and I'm going to kind of slow down and kind of quiet down, and 
I think it's good for us. Sometimes I, uh, I had a student named Dieter. I was reminded I ran into his wife the other day at a graduation ceremony. I was a freshman professor. And uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I was pouring my heart out into those lessons. And this Dieter was one of those students that uh, was so, so intelligent and so gifted, he intimidated me. Uh, even though technically, um, maybe I was more educated than him, I just felt like he was smarter than me. <laughs> And uh, as a 29-year-old as a professor, uh, it can sometimes, and you got like 27-year-olds in the classroom, it got weird, right? And Dieter came up afterwards, and we ended up becoming very, very close friends, but, but he said to me, um, can I give you some advice? Which, by the way, just makes me feel more intimidated, by the way. But he said to me, can I give you some advice? And I said, what is that? And he said, you don't have to talk all the time. Like, you can give us a moment to think and to reflect. I'm gonna take his advice this morning. I'm gonna ask you this question and then give you a moment to sit in it. When, when people hear you speak, when people, the ones that know you and they know your life, that they know what matters to you. Do they have a sense of a decision that needs to be made? Is there a way in which, again, the words that you speak and the life that you live somehow bring a level of conviction guided and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize the wonderful gifts that God has given you and the life that you now have? And do you recognize the responsibility to model that and to extend it to others? That's what Jim Elliott is getting at. He's not trying to, and I don't want to this morning either, I don't want to try to manufacture something. I don't want to heap upon you or upon us a level of of guilt or responsibility that would ever extend beyond the conviction of the spirit or the word that has been given to us. When, when preachers do that, it's, it's just not healthy. And it really doesn't accomplish anything in an eternal perspective. But looking at this text, what, what, what Peter wants people to realize is that there is an initial, I want you to think about your initial response to Jesus. To reflect back on the moment and the moments in which you realized that a, a change needed to be made. And I dare say that if we were to stop and maybe even have a moment where we could talk about it, it was someone that caused that. It was something that was said. It was a life that was being lived that somehow caused in you. I want you to think this morning, who was your fork in the road? That because of their love for you and their love for God, which was greater, because they were a great commissioned person, because they were following the great commandment. Who was your fork in the road? A life that was lived, a word that was spoken, 
that just made you realize, before I do anything else, I need to deal with this. And I would even say, um, give thanks to that person. I would even challenge you in this way. I'm getting, the older I get, the more nostalgic I'm becoming. Um, to go back into to maybe even have a conversation with that person and to thank them for a word that was spoken or a life that was lived or most likely both. Thank you for bringing me to a decision to reflect back on the, uh, the amazing work that God has done in you because through our initial response to Jesus, and what is it? This initial response is a repentance and a baptism. And that idea of repentance and baptism, be, uh, repentance and then being baptized in the name of Jesus, literally is a complete change of mind. And then a complete, and, and I, I mean this word both intentionally and symbolically, literally and symbolically, an immersion into Jesus. A change of mind, which is what decisions mean, I need to get off this road and get on another road. I need to make a, a decision. I'm either going to go this way or I'm going to go this way. And when it happened in the book of Acts by the outpouring of the Spirit, something changed. And people repented. They changed their mind and they redirected their lives. And then they became fully immersed, literally in water, as a sign of new birth. Completely immersed in Jesus and in his name. These are the great verses, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Repent and be baptized, Peter said. This is what you're supposed to do. Repent, change your mind, be baptized. Literally, to be, Paul says in, 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 uh, in Romans 6, to be united with Christ in baptism, to, uh, to die to oneself, to, to live a new life. Repent and be baptized each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you, I love this reminder here, so the, the disciples say, we have the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon us, and it's what was prophesied in the prophets, and by the way, it's not just for us, but it's been prophesied that it is for you and for your children, it is for men, it is for women, it is for all humanity. For those who are far away, whoever should hear, this promise is for you. And Peter actually says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the indwelling of God in you. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. This is kind of reminiscent of Acts 1-7. As many as the Lord our God will call. And so this initial decision is made because someone had already made a decision not just to receive Jesus, but to faithfully pursue him and to stand up and to live and to speak a way in which your life was both confronted and also changed. And so we have that initial response to Jesus, which is about repenting and being baptized. But then what I love is that Luke doesn't leave it there. There's a number of what we call summary statements where uh, Luke decides that what I want to do is I, I want to look at what happened there. And instead of just kind of going through it moment by moment or instead of going through it day by day, let me summarize what the, what the result of that was. And one of the greatest ones is actually found in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 and running down through the end of that paragraph, verse 47. But for this morning, I just want to look at verse 42. 
Like this is the kind of decision that recognizes this really isn't just about me. That my salvation is not just about me. And I, I think it is so important at a, a time, even as, as, we, um, as, as we begin to engage again, as we begin to, um, uh, to, to interact with one another again. I mean, so many of us have experienced, or the ones that we love have experienced, um, a year of, of greater isolation, of, of greater uh, alone moment thinking, and, and by the way, if, if you say, well, that hasn't been true for me. I've, I've heard a number of people say this. It's been great for my family. To which I can, uh, my, my first statement is, that is great. I am really, really glad that your family was able to spend more time together and, and really begin to maybe focus on some things and, and to re-engage as a family. I think that's great. Can I tell you, as from someone that is looking at maybe at a, at a higher level or at a bigger picture, that has not been true for everyone. So I'm really, really glad that you've been able to re-engage with your family. There are a number of individuals and there are a number of families who have never felt more alone and abandoned. And can you imagine if I said to Randy and Jen Blake, well, that never happened to me. (laughs) You don't say that. To recognize that There is a decision that I make when I follow Jesus, and that decision then points me in a direction. No, 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 there's a number of times I've missed mile marker 27 coming back. It's it's 27, isn't it, Aaron, right? Isn't it 27? Stillwater, why? Tell me it's 27. I think it's 27. Okay, there's a couple of times that I've actually missed that. When I first came here, I, I would miss that, and I would end up in a completely wrong place, and I would be so frustrated. And then I would be more angry that I couldn't just do the highway patrol thing and just kind of turn around and go back, you know? And I end up going, I missed it completely. Um, It is important for us to realize that when when I make this decision, that it then leads to a series of ongoing decisions that are necessary. So to make a decision for Christ isn't just a, hey, I've done that. No, 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 no. It's like, This now sets in motion all the dominoes of my life. Our our decision is both initial but then ongoing. We have an ongoing response to Jesus. And here's what we see in the book of Acts. The ongoing response to, to Jesus is a devotion to the teaching and to the people and to the mission of Jesus. That's what we see in verse 42. Your decision to follow Jesus means that there are going to be ongoing, regular, daily decisions to die to oneself and to follow Christ and Jesus' instructions. And we do that by being devoted to the teaching, to the people, and to the mission of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That's what Jim Elliott is praying for. Help my decision, my initial decision, so push me in 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 a Jesus direction that people then see in me what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 42. And they, those who were baptized, those who repented, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread, which by the way, that could either be communion, which we will celebrate in a moment, or it literally could be just the, the idea of gathering and eating meals together, which was the primary way of showing both social acceptance and then love and care for sometimes the needy or just opening up our homes and hospitality. So that breaking of bread, I, I think, has a number of layers of implications. And, and most likely, uh, their meal when they had the Lord's Supper was a little larger than this as they gathered in one another's homes. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that is what we are called to do. <laughs> Love the freedom that some people feel, right? So we have this ongoing devotion and this ongoing response to who Jesus Christ is, okay? And then we recognize that there is a, a way in which we need to live and a direction in which we need to turn. And I love that we see this being lived out in the book of Acts. But it, it, it finds its, its focus and it finds its meaning in that very first initial charge. P Brothers, what do we do? We repent and we are baptized. And now what do we do? We devote ourselves to the teachings of Jesus. We devote ourselves to the fellowship. We devote ourselves to living our lives in light of the mission. And I think that's what the breaking of bread and prayer is describing is the ongoing connection that they have to one another and to God and to be faithful. And so we've spent some time reflecting on and thinking about just the need and the responsibility that we have as individuals, but can I tell you um, that sometimes we so make uh, of, of great value the individual decisions that we make that we fail to recognize that, that the majority of these decisions that are described or the majority of the, the living that is described in the New Testament is actually meant to be um, embraced and celebrated and done by all of us together. The Great Commission is not you go, it's we. And what we actually see in Acts 2.42 is not just a one person being devoted to, but we became devoted to. And therefore, in closing, what I really want to have as our challenge this morning is, if you don't mind, I'd like to rewrite Jim Elliott's prayer. I want us to end in light of the fact that I believe many of us, if not most, if not all of us, have made a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. And we, we get the sense that I personally want to be a decision, a crisis person. I want people that when they interact with me, that they would somehow get a sense that a decision needs to be made. I really believe it is best that we understand this prayer of Jim Elliot and this teaching from Acts chapter two uh, in connection with what we learned last week from Matthew 28 to be understood collectively. And so here is the, the, the prayer that I want us to, to think through as we end our time. Can you imagine what it would be like if we prayed this prayer together? God, make us a crisis church. Not a church in crisis. A church in crisis is one that's forgotten what it's about. A church in crisis is a, is, a, is, a, is a church that somehow has become so inwardly focused, all they can think about is themselves. A church in crisis is a church that may actually be loving and caring, but nothing they do really rises to the glorification of God. At best, it's for the betterment of humanity. That's a church in crisis. That's not what we're asking for. But no, make us a crisis church. Bring those that we contact to decision. Let us not be a milepost on a single road, but make us a fork that people must turn one way or another on facing Christ in us. 
Jesus Christ said that by your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. The 12 apostles stand up and speak. The church in Jerusalem rose up, and when they had committed their lives to Jesus Christ, they became a crisis church by the words that they spoke and by the life that they lived. And I pray that that's us. If you just, I don't know how I could live out the life of Jim Elliot by myself. What I just want to remind you of is neither could Jim. He went to a distant land with a group of others and died with a group of others. He was so convinced that he needed to be that he also understood that we needed to go and that we needed to be. And what a great Sunday for us to celebrate what God has done for us and to do so by then responding, and we then therefore will share this responsibility that we have, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you've accomplished and what you've done for us, and we pray that you would make it so strong in us that we would recognize we cannot keep this to ourselves. May we see the value of the words that we speak and the life that we lived. May they, may they work in symphony with one another. May they be a complement to one another. May the words of our mouth and the, uh, the actions of our lives demonstrate a life of complete surrender to you. Father, thank you for repentance and baptism and being united to Christ and to his body. And Father, I pray um, that others would see in us collectively the need to make a decision for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.